Father, I thank you so much uh, for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, I pray that you would just calm hearts today. Um, Lord, I know my heart is all over the place today. And I just pray that you'd help us to be present, to be uh, able to focus, um, that we can put aside distractions and hear what you would have to say to us. Lord, uh, every single person in this room, whether they are a believer for years and years or whether they're just here because somebody they loved asked them to come, um, you have a purpose for that. And I just pray, Lord, that their hearts and minds, all of us would be open to that purpose and, uh, man, could hear it and see it. And, Father, I pray for restoration. Uh, I pray for healing. I pray for chains to be broken and, man, if you just bring life into places that need it. I pray that you would help me to preach your word, preach it well, and I wouldn't get in the way. And give you all the glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Is Chris here? Chris, without you, this place falls apart. No fan on, no humidifier. It's pure chaos. <clears throat> so, uh, Chris plays guitar, usually. Anyway, <clears throat> welcome. My name is Todd. I'm the pastor here. Um, we are in the midst of a series. I do this to catch all of you up, in case this is your first time. What is the series, you say? It's about physically fighting each other. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's culture wars. Listen, we're in the midst of a culture war, right? Uh, meaning, the church is called to live a certain way, to reflect God to the world, and the world doesn't like that. And they clash, sometimes really in your face ways, right? Obvious ways, and sometimes in ways that are more subtle. That's the gist of it. And we've been kind of talking about that. And here's the thing that's sort of infected the church, too. In a lot of ways, right? If something's sitting, surrounded by something um, opposing it all the time, if the foundation isn't firm, if the walls aren't firm, if the boundaries aren't firm, right, in our faith, in our churches, guess what happens? Stuff leaks in. We carry that in. So, and then there's another reality, you know, there are people that come into churches that are members of churches that aren't Christians, right? Just because you, you look like a sheep doesn't mean you're a sheep sometimes. And because of that, our guards are down, and then people bring that stuff in. Make sense? Yeah. So it's important that we, we look at those. And some weeks are going to be more in your face than others, as we've said. Um, and then other weeks are more subtle. So there is my PSA, public service announcement. <clears throat> um, so I have a question for you. Now, listen, in order for these illustrations to work, you actually have to do what I'm asking you to do. It means you have to actually consider. Why'd you raise your hand, AJ? You want to be in. What a strange. <laughs> I wasn't even done with the sense. He's like me. Yeah. It's an illustration. I'm not asking anyone to come up here. <laughs> anyway, see, you try to guess and you get called out. Anyway, <laughs> I wish you could have seen it from my view. Middle of a serious sentence. Me. Yeah. <laughs> But you got to think this through because I have a point, and some of you are too serious. You're just serious people, so you can't, you're not going to, this is unrealistic. Okay, I need you to put that aside for a second. <clears throat> and quit trying to get ahead of me, because maybe I'm going to trick you. So, I want to ask you guys a question. Let's say we lived in a culture, right, in which the tallest people were the most valuable. Well, first of all, Chris, again, you are the king of the world, right, in this example. You know, he's nine foot tall, if, if you met Chris. But yeah, right, let's say you lived in a culture, right now imagine it, that the tallest people, girls and guys, because guys, we already kind of feel that way sometimes, don't we? 
You know, you got tall guys like me. That st- <laughs> First of all, I want to make this clear. I'm taller than I look. If I stand next to you, all right, I'm just as wide as I am tall, so it's hard. <clears throat> so I want to ask you guys, <laughs> gosh darn it. <laughs> I was praying, Lord, help my mind to be focused. So let's imagine that scenario, though, okay? Chris would be the king of us all, the emperor, and then it kind of goes down from there. You know, we got Jaden and his long monkey arms, and it just works its way down from there. <clears throat> Welcome back. Um, let, they, let's say those people, the tallest, would get, for, for real, would get the, they would be respected the most. Let's say that they had the best jobs, that they would get first choice in spouses, girl or guy. They got pick of the litter, Okay. <clears throat> Um, let's say that you were in that top percentage. You get to imagine that world. You were as tall as me, right? Or Chris. Like, you were in that world. Let's take, how would you feel? Okay? How would you feel if you were at the top? You were in the top 1% tallest. Would you, you guys, now, now, where's the hands now, AJ? Would you feel good or bad? Too good, right? Would you feel good or bad? Man, I just want to, like, throw you guys in a scenario here because you're clearly not awake. I don't want to, like, let's just all go home, all right? So either get like AJ and get so excited, you raise your hand for no reason, all right? Or let's just call it right now. So in this scenario, I told you it's going to take you to wake up. I know I'm asking a lot. Had your coffee yet? If that were the case, for real, I'm trying to simplify it, would you be happy or sad if you were the tallest and the tall? Yes, of course you would. You would be happy. Thank you. <clears throat> would you be content? Yeah, thank you. Now, see what we're doing? We're doing it now. Dave, see? That's all we need. <laughs> well, he's like, I know. That's what I've been saying. Okay, now here's the thing. What if you were not in that top percentage? Would you feel content and happy? No. Thank you. <clears throat> now, let's say in this scenario, let's say you were one of the shorter people, okay? Or let's say that you're in the middle, so you got the Chris's at the top, right? And you're in the middle. What would you be willing to do to get taller? All right? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> Somebody literally goes, break my legs. But I like, that's true. That's a real thing. People do that now. But let's say you might break your legs. You might start by getting insoles, right? There's actually a market for that, guys. They put it in your shoe, right? Subtly. And you're taller. <clears throat> what would you be willing to do and what would you not be willing to do? Well, in this silly scenario, if I really based everything and life around it, everybody in this room would go, not me, I'm going to be me. That's not true. Some of you would resist, but a lot of us would start making compromises in the sense of I'm going to at least wear a little bit of insole, right? That's what we'll do. Like, I just buy an insole and it's just a little taller, and then a little and a little, and we'd work our way up. Now, let's say, what would happen if it were the same situation, but now it's blonde people? Blonde people are the top, they're, you know, they're the, the creme de la creme, is that the word? Uh, you know, what would we be willing to do? Well, let me tell you what would happen. We would sell out of blonde hair dye in this country. That's a fact. This culture, listen to me, wants you to, wants to tell you what makes you valuable. I'm going to say that again because I know it's sleepy time. This culture, everything around you, wants to tell you what makes you valuable. 
And they want you not only to, they don't only want to tell you what makes you valuable. And thus, if they tell you what makes you valuable, then they can also tell you what makes you not valuable. They want you to make decisions based on that. And live out of this identity that they say is the most important. I know people are running around, so people get distracted, so I'll say this again, right? They want, you, they want to tell you what's valuable. They want to tell you what makes you valuable, which in turn tells you what's not valuable. And then they want you to make decisions, like the insoles, based, oh, yeah, I didn't get rid of kids. That's my fault. Get rid of kids. I love you so much. Kids, go to children's church. You could have just said that. That was way less distracting. <laughs> They're literally, if you were from my view, I was like, there's a fire. Someone's dead. This will be so subtle. They're running around like grabbing every kid. I'm so sorry, kids. I love you so much. Children, make your way to children's church. On top of that, I said, oh, I didn't get rid of the kids. This has been a rough day for me. Ugh. That was so funny. Brandon sprinting up and down the aisles. <laughs> oh, boy, what a day. Let's start this over. All the way at the beginning. I'm just kidding. All right. Guys, I'm telling you right now, you literally made me think that something terrifying was happening. I almost stopped it. I was like, we have a legitimate emergency. Okay, here we go. It wants to tell you what makes you valuable, and they want you to make decisions and live out of the identity that they say is valuable. Now, immediately when I say words like identity, this is why Christianity frustrates me, even though I'm one of them, because you're too Christianized. It's annoying, right? Out Without the pressure of living apparently in persecution, which you don't really want, in your comfort, you've stopped listening or you start to believe you know everything. And it doesn't always, it's not even intentional. Some of you have good hearts, you've just become numb. Well, lazy faith leads to numb faith, and numb faith leads to unproductive, unfruitful faith. And that's the reality. Stop. We have to wake up and we have to pull things out of this stuff, right? I am not clearly the best messenger, but the message is good. And you have to be willing to pull that stuff out. So in this scenario, right, that's, I need you to put that aside. So take your big old fat Christian earmuffs off that know everything and, and focus. And those of you who, by the way, aren't Christians but think you know everything about it, you hear words like identity in Christ, I get it. It's, it becomes a corny catchphrase that has no meaning. But it isn't a corny catchphrase to God. It's the crux of everything we do. It's why we're losing the culture war. Now, <clears throat> in our churches, we can't really change what's going to happen in the world. We already know. Scripture tells us when we study Revelation, right, you're going to see things are going to get worse before they get better. But your churches should stay steady and stable. So the world wants to tell you that. Popular culture wants to tell you what makes you valuable, and then they want you to make decisions based on what they say is valuable, and then here's the cool part, but they, they, they care about you. So what they're going to do is they're going to, popular culture will even give you options to place your value on. They'll say, oh, you want more than one option. See, they give you the illusion of choice. We can all be different. But you cannot... The one thing the world will not let you do and does not want you to do, you cannot under any circumstances have any value that does not come from what they give you or what you give yourself. I know, one of those days, man, I'm making you think. They won't let you do that, not without a fight. 
You can build it on anything else. You can take your value, your worth from anything, but you cannot take it from your inherent value, which you were created from the moment you took breath, right? From the moment you were created, your value was established because of who your creator was. You definitely cannot get your identity from your creator, and even if you say, okay, we'll let you have a creator, you certainly can't have it in Jesus Christ. That's why they'll, you can say God at work, right? You can. You just can't see Jesus. The big trick is created beings. However, the big trick, however, is that created beings made in the image of God as created beings, our value can only come from him. <clears throat> the enemy knows that. We have an enemy. Satan is real. The spiritual realm is real. Demons are real. That's a fact. And because of that, right, the enemy, he's out to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus tells. So what's he want to steal, kill, and destroy? Your self-worth, your value, your life. He wants it all. The enemy knows that, you know, if we can get lions acting like fish, just because the world says to be fish, what will happen? If I take a lion, a cub, and I throw it in water, right, for a while, it'll probably swim around and be okay. But I, if, I, if I keep it there forever, even if I feed it, over time it's going to wither and it's going to die. It's going to be unhealthy. It's the same thing. It isn't good for us to build our life and our value on other things because life doesn't come from them. It leads to destruction, and it leads to this spiral. You ready? Here's the spiral I know every single one of you struggle with, some at different times, some seasons. Sometimes it's better or worse. Why am I so miserable? I do. You know, when you read Scripture and you see the joy they had, you know, Paul's like, I can't, he's being persecuted all the time. I can't wait to see you guys. And then we drag into church like it's the worst thing in the world. Right? Why is that? Why were they able to have that? Why did Paul you know, say, hey, to, you know, to live as Christ, to die as gain, and mean it? And, and it didn't just be a christian it wasn't just a christian phrase like it is to most of us. Why am I so anxious? Why do I keep doing these foolish things? Why isn't it working? I'm doing and being what they tell me is important. Why isn't it working? The answer is really simple. We do not live out of our identity, and even if we do, which is most Christians in the room, say that we do, we do not build our lives on this identity. So I'm going to give you a clue. It's not my notes. It's from the end. It's going to be two parts here. I want you to take from today. You have to accept your identity, and then you have to build your life as though that identity is real. There's a difference. I can say I'm a lion all I want, but if I live in a lake, am I living like I'm a lion? We do not build our lives. We don't make this identity the foundation of our lives, our homes, our relationships, and our life. It's the only answer, and it's the only answer. And if it's your first time coming here, listen, I'm the guy that if I found out this wasn't real, and it is, I'm not here, I'd run away from it too. It's real. And if it's real, then we gotta figure out what the disconnect is. Because the kind of Christianity even, well certainly this life, but the type of Christianity that most of us live in has no joy and power. It's a grind. And the issue is not with God's church. God's church is beautiful. 
The issue is with the members of it. Much of the misery and emptiness of our lives revolves around two things, and I'm completely serious. We do not accept our identity, our real, unchangeable identity. And even if we do, we don't build the foundation of our lives on this identity. It's the difference between knowing who I am and then basing my life on that fact through how I live my life. They're two parts. See, some of you say, well, I know who I am in Jesus. But you don't live that way, and you wonder why you're miserable. Did you know that the things Jesus said is not just Buddhist philosophy? It's not just something to live by that's like nice. It's healthy, good truth. That even if you didn't have Jesus and you could somehow live according to the, like, the standards of the Bible and the do's and the don'ts, your life will be better than those who don't. Now, all of you, including me, say we believe that if you're a Christian. But does your life really show that? Well, yes, in most things, some of you are excuse makers. You go, well, most areas. Jesus doesn't want most. He wants it all. So I want you to hear this scripture. We're going to start here with fresh ears. Can you do that? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17. And I want you to listen like it's the first time. Some of you it might be. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion the Apostle Paul talking to church in Corinth, a church, that one died for all, and therefore all died. Who do you think the one died for all is? Jesus. Nice. Therefore all died. We nod, but that's pretty crazy sounding. Because he died for all, all should die. They all die. What does that mean? Okay. And he who died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anything from a worldly perspective. From when? From when? From the moment that we died and now live as him. We don't view things the way the world does anymore. Even if we've known Christ from a worldly perspective, I know who Jesus is. Yet now we no longer know him in this way. It's not just a name. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Listen to this. He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. That's encouraging. But there's a challenge there. See, a lot of our misery comes because you don't actually believe that. If you are a new creation, and then you go right back to living in the pond, you wonder why you're miserable. What if this isn't just poetic words? Listen to these phrases. Therefore, all died. One died for all, therefore, all died. What does he mean you got to go kill yourself? No. The clue is in the scripture, right? It's in the way you live. You die to your own wants and desires. That doesn't mean they don't matter anymore. It means they become secondary to what Christ has told us. Right? The way he told us to live. And you do understand that. Some of you say, that isn't fair. I should do what I want. We don't let children do whatever they want. We don't. Because we know it's not good for them. And they haven't gotten to the maturity level yet to understand what's good for them. Therefore all died. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. So if you don't die 
to your own desires, meaning they don't become secondary, then guess what becomes first? Your own desires, your own life. But for the one that died for them and was raised, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Paul, the Holy Spirit, God through Paul knew exactly what he was saying when he used the word death. It's over. Some of your misery is because you believe that you can have your cake and eat it too. I can chill and I'm in the kingdom and it's church day. And then you go back and live in the old life in the pond and you wonder why you're miserable. I do it. Or you think it's easy? It's like I said earlier, man. You, this is, you can't have fruit, right? Without being willing to go to the tree and pick it. I'm not talking about spiritual fruits, so don't be tearing my theology up. We'll come to that later, right? Maybe you're just, maybe I'm the only one that's like, man, I, if this is real, I want what it says. I want that kind of joy. I want that kind of peace. If the problem isn't God, then it's me. Identity in Christ. That's why I said every church teaches it. Every church teaches it. It's annoying. Every Christian says it. I find my identity in Christ. What does it mean? Do you know what that means? If I come to you and say, tell me what your identity in Christ, you're going to say, you know who you are in Jesus. What does that mean? What does that mean? What do you mean who you are in Jesus? Sometimes I've been a Christian a long time, and you guys say it to me, I still don't know what it means. What are you talking about? But because we all hear Christianese and we're like, I'm supposed to know what this means, so I'm just going to nod. Mm-hmm, me too, right? But it isn't meant to be a me too, right? It's meant to be reality. Listen to this in Isaiah 28, 16 from the beginning. Old Testament new. I bet some of you know this verse. Anyone know this verse? Isaiah 28, 16, raise your hand. Cool, I don't feel as bad. You, you kind of raised it. You either do or you don't. You know what? <laughs> Therefore, the Lord God said, look. I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. Oh, that's nice poetry. That's nice prophecy. Seminary, right? You got to know the types of books and what they mean. That's nice, unless that's all it, if that's all it stays. So God said back then, and you need to know some context, but right before this, and I never caught this, God makes this interesting statement, right, through Isaiah to to Israel. And he says, you have essentially made a covenant with death. You want to make a covenant to death, with death? I'm about to leave if you don't start waking up. I'm not playing around today. Okay, I know you're listening. It's It's everybody else, okay? You don't even have to talk. You can just do more than this. All right? I don't even know what you said. But anyway, uh, listen, so he said, a covenant with death. And I'm going to paraphrase, but essentially Isaiah said, God says through the prophet, you have made a covenant with death, thinking that it's going to keep you safe and secure. And then right after that, he says this, therefore the Lord God says, look, I've laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. And then he goes on to say what's going to happen to them who've made a covenant with death. You made a covenant with death. What did they actually do? If you want to know historically, they made deals with Assyrians and outside people to protect them, saying we're safe now because the really good kings and the war people are saving me. And, God, and what happens if they do that? Well, if I've put myself under the protection of someone else, 
I'm probably going to do what it takes to please those people or at least not displease them. And we already know they don't love God. So we have what? We have, we have given up something sure for our own version of security. A covenant with death. Thinking it will protect your life. He says, you thought it would hide you, he said, and save you. But the only thing that can truly save you is this precious, tested cornerstone. What's a cornerstone? That's the sound of a cornerstone. Man, that, you're getting ahead of me. What is a cornerstone in the analogy? We got any construction guys? What? What? Yeah, it's the first one you lay typically, right? Because then it not only supports it, but it establishes the way the rest of the foundation is going to go. If you don't know where to start, you're gonna, you might have stones everywhere, right? So you have to have a corner. It's kind of like a puzzle. What do you build first in a puzzle if you're smart? I don't do this. But what the edge is, right? You find the big piece. We all do this. You should. The big corner piece. And like, that's where I'm going to start from. Denise is like me, apparently. You start right in the middle with chaos, right? <clears throat> yeah, you put the corner piece. He's, so he's making this, this illustration that, see, that's the problem, Juju. I love that you said that. But because you think you know, you're already off on la-la land. You don't. We have to listen. The cornerstone. He doesn't even tell us what the cornerstone is. He didn't, or he didn't tell them. But, right, you're going, oh, my gosh, I, I want to know what this cornerstone is. What is the cornerstone? It's precious. It's a sure foundation. And then this incredible thing, the one who believes will be unshakable. You feel unshakable? Be honest. Somebody's getting blown up. Tell your friends you'll be there tomorrow. Uh, all right, stay with me. So God says through the prophets in the Old Testament, you're making deals. You're building your life on these things. You're making covenant you're 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 building your life on something that you think is going to keep you safe but i've given you something to keep you safe okay new testament matthew chapter 7 now here's the thing i have thought until i study this week again and again thought i knew this i knew exactly what this meant until i started asking myself questions so i'm going to ask you to do this don't assume you know matthew chapter 7 starting in verse 24 through 27 if you're doing the you know your phone thing I like to hear the sound of papers turning. That's nice, genuinely. Okay, when you got it, say I got it. All right. It's on the screen if you don't. Tricked you. Therefore, I'm reading from the CSB. Therefore, everyone who hears, this is Jesus. Do I want to tell you before or after? I'll tell you right now. Before this, directly before this, comes one of the scariest sections of all of Scripture in which Jesus says, "There there will be a time when they come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I do this in your name? And I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. I never caught this. In your minds, when we're taught this, we don't put them together. Same conversation. Just because there's a chapter break or a section break doesn't mean Jesus did, right? Typically. And listen to what he says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts of them on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. A couple things. I'm actually going to start with, with the house on the sand. You know what's funny? I never noticed. It didn't crash right away. It didn't. The rain fell handled that. 
The rivers rose, water got high. Okay, it's still around. Probably some stuff's falling off though, right? The winds blew and pounded it, and then it collapsed. Just because some of you in this room say, well, my life's good right now. God's blessing me. No, maybe the winds just hasn't come yet. There are people that can go all the way to their death and like, I got a pretty good life. But, but the wind is death for them. And they're going to find that everything collapses they built their life on when they stand before a holy God. If we read the words of Jesus here and really believe him, really hear him, he essentially says, listen, you ready? You ready, Emma? Do you want me to kick this podium? Wake up, all right? <laughs> he essentially says there are only two things that humanity builds their lives on. That's simplifying this. Well, I thought there's more. No, there's two. Two options. I like that Jesus keeps it simple. It's either you build your life on the rock, on rocky ground, on rock, which is what? Stable, firm, and unshakable. Yeah? Or sand. What is sand? Well, clearly it's shaky, stable, firm, and shaky. It's shaky, it's soft and unsteady, it's temporary and fragile. Ever seen those? You know, I've never made a good sand castle in my entire life. I, you know, mine ends up looking like a volcano. And that, then I'll usually tell you that's what it is. Like, <laughs> I'm like, look at my castle, and you go, that? And I'm like, no, that's my volcano. <laughs> my castle... Castle already got swept away, right? <laughs> but you know what's funny? My little volcano and those big, huge, fancy, packed, like incredibly artistic statues, they both don't last. They both have a level in which they'll get washed away. It doesn't matter how, what if it's huge and fancy? I've seen them. At the end of the day, you're no more, when a tornado comes, it's all gone, right? Tornado and sand, you get the point. Typhoon, whatever. There's only two, period. If we take this fact as literal truth, I'm trying to get us to walk through this. The next question we should have is what? If there are only two options, and it's rock and it's sand, what should you be asking yourself right now? There we go. But before that, right, because we know he's using illustration here, you, you got the second part. What's the first question then? And what's the sand? Right? If you're reading this, and you did have my second one, well done, Jamie. Right? First, what's my house built on? Right? Right? Like, what is the rock and the sand? The next question we should have is, what is the rock, what is the sand? What it, which is my house built on? And if it is built on sand, right? if I find out that my life, whatever sand is, it's built on, how do I change it? You should want to change it, no matter how big your sand castle is. Some of you have, are banking on the fact that the big winds aren't going to come. That's it. You got all that money. You're good. You're unshakable. I'm building something. It'll make a point here in a second. Okay, maybe. We'll see. All right. Second Peter. I'm about to tell you. Ready? What's... What's rock? What's sand? What's all of that? Okay, well, first of all, before I do that, I want to come, do I want to tell you now what's the most, we'll come back to that, okay? <clears throat> no, I should probably tell you now. <clears throat> most of the time when we hear the reason rock and sand, we think, okay, he's still talking about identity, but I'm not. 
the cornerstone, right? We'll get to that in a second. The, the, there, there's a difference here. Because listen to this, and I've never caught this before. Some of you are smarter than me. Maybe you caught it. Listen to what it says in the first sentence. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who doesn't will be saying, so it's not just saying I'm a Christian. It's not just saying I'm a Christian. So here's some stuff I'll get to. All right? I'm giving you a little clue. So there's something about becoming a new creation that's important. If you don't know Jesus in this room, you're dead and dying whether you know it or not. Listen to me. Most people these days don't tell you that because you don't like to hear it. You know why you don't like to hear it? Because you have an enemy that doesn't want you to live. He doesn't want you to be a new creation. So right now you're getting a little irritated, you know, frustrated. And the truth is, I don't even know your name. So what are you really mad at? I'm going to say it again. There's that part that's the most important part. Your life has to be built on this cornerstone, but then there's something else. The implication is you could be saved and be a fool. Because your house and the foundation it's built on isn't actually dependent on, you could have a cornerstone, right? The solid cornerstone, but you've put the cornerstone in a sense, right? You've built sand. It's on sand. You put sand on it. So I've got my cornerstone, it's solid, and then you go, you know what? I would rather have a floor of sand. And you build on that. You could know Jesus and not be the wise builder. 2 Peter, one, this is a big section, I know. 1 through 11. I know that annoys you. I'm supposed to keep it bite-sized, but I think you're smart. 2 Peter 1 through 11. This is the apostle Peter. Man, I love this dude. You know why? Because you read this and compare it to the guy in the Gospels. The crazy thing is, in the moments when he was running away, in the moments when he was a fool, in the moments when Jesus had to call it, say, Satan, get behind me, the craziest thing in the world is when he looked and said, I'm going to change your name from Simon to Peter, to rock, because you will be the rock on which I build this church, right? What do you mean? I thought it's Jesus. Stick with it. You're going to be the first one. You're going to be the stone, not the cornerstone. And somehow, Jesus always knew that that hot-headed, foolish fisherman was this guy. Some of you, this is an aside, stop focusing on who you think you are. Because he sees the finished product. Second Peter chapter two, starting in verse one. I'm sorry, completely wrong. First Peter. I know, they'll get that up for you. I always say that. It's because I like the number two, because I'm the second. All right, I'm going to read it. It'll be on the screen when they catch up with me. Therefore, so 1 Peter, I lied to you guys. 1 Peter, see, are you paying attention? It would have been crazy. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 1. All right? Therefore, what's the next word? Just seeing if you're there. Red, thank you. Sydney, look at you, man. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Oh, boy. I'll tell you, you want to know something the church today is so guilty of, it's slander. You, you, you ready for, you ready for your, uh, your justification? I love making you mad. Here's what it is. <clears throat> your justification is, it's not slander if it's true. Right? Is that what you think? So if I think you're a jerk, that must be true. See, the problem is facts are facts, but we always add something to the facts, don't we? We add the conclusion and call it not slander. Bob messed up. 
Why you would say, what's your purpose in saying that? Is it really to lift him up? Well, you got to warn people about that bad guy. Really? You see what I'm saying? No? That's okay. Hope it never happens to you. <clears throat> Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, that's hate, all deceit, that's lies, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Hypocrisy doesn't mean you do something and you fail, you strive for something. It means saying you need to do it and then you don't even try. Okay? Envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the world so that by it you may <clears throat> grow up into your salvation. There we go again. So you could be saved but not be growing into it. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, ooh, as you come to him, here we go, a living stone. You see the story I've painted here? Isaiah through. A living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves as living stones. Oh, that's, Denise, this is so good. I'm telling you, this is so good. And, and I, I just, I love words. Did you see that subtle thing? Who is the living stone? To start with. And the first one, he says, hey, right, uh, you may grow up in your salvation if you taste that the Lord is good as you come to him, a living stone. Who's to him? Jesus. So Jesus is the living stone. And then guess what it says? You yourselves as living stones. Because he has transformed you. Right? Co-heir with Christ. I have taken you and I have made you like me. Right? Same spirit. Isn't that cool? No? I thought it was. Did you, baby? Uh, a spiritual house are being built to be a holy priesthood. Man. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way it's acceptable. Your religion is worthless without him. For it stands in Scripture. See if you've heard this before. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. You like that? Yeah, I do. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. By the way, I just want to stop. So honor will come to you. It doesn't always come immediately, but it is coming. Everything you do, everything that you think no one sees, every sacrifice you made, Jesus says the same thing, you will be rewarded for. He sees it. The stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The way you live your life, you're, you're a royal priesthood with one job, that people will look at you and you will proclaim the praises of the one who transformed you, who brought you from dead to life. Once you were not a people, here we go again, which, but now you are God's people. You weren't something, you've been transformed. In order to be God's people, you have to be transformed. You had not received mercy but now you've received mercy. See, those of you in the room, I told you, I talked to you earlier, the ones who are mad for a little bit, but you're still here probably because the Holy Spirit's talking to you, God loves you that much. The truth is, you don't get mercy. We're all destined for wrath, punishment without end. You have received mercy. And then he says, dear friends, I urge you, listen, 
as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. You're going to feel like strangers and exiles. Exiles are people that aren't home. But the truth is, and the great temptation is, in a world where being tall is the best thing, you'll do some really silly things to fit in, to take your value, because you want it right now. I like this section because it kind of clarifies everything we've read so far. One, what is that? Well, the cornerstone mentioned in Isaiah is Christ. We now know, right? It's Christ. He brings honor to those who build their life on him. He saves those who put their faith in him, but he gives honor to those who build their life on him. That identity in Christ shows itself in what way and what we're transformed to. We're transformed into a chosen race. These are, this is who you are. That's why I call you kings and queens and saints. It's not to, to build your ego up, though I'm here to do that. It's because that's what you are. That is what you are. Just because the world doesn't recognize your crown yet doesn't mean it's not true. You're not home. That identity in Christ, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. You're a nation within a nation. You're God's people, he says. And because of this identity, this transformation, our lives should look different in two ways. In what we do and in what we abstain from and don't do. Either one without the other is not building on firm foundation. What do you mean by that, Todd? Well, some of you do the do's. Do the do's. <laughs> do the do. Mountain Dew commercial. Anyway, do the do, right? So you'll go to church, you give your offering, um, but you also go back and, you, you know, you love people. But then when you go, you dive right into everything everyone else around you is. You turn that computer on at night when no one's looking, you don't feel anything about it. Grab the bottles to hide from it. You know, all these things that you do, the warm bodies you crawl into bed with to feel better, but you do the do's and you think that's enough. Well, that's why you're miserable. Okay, and then some people, <laughs> it's the other way around. Okay, it's kind of a do and a don't. They're really good at not doing the don'ts. Well, I don't do any of the big sins, but I don't love people. I don't forgive people. I don't offer mercy to people. I don't go to church. I'm a Christian. I don't need to go to church. That was me. I can say, I can call you out because that was me, right? And I'll say it in case the new people, all the regulars are like, I don't want to hear this again. Hey, going to church doesn't make you a Christian, but Christians go to church. I don't like, I didn't like it. I shouldn't say I don't. I didn't like it anymore at the time because I didn't get it. I was confusing the building with God's people. So two ways. Our transformation shows in what we do and what we don't do. Not the perfection of it, otherwise we wouldn't need him, right? Because it says words like being transformed into. That's a process. So, now you're awake. <clears throat> I've got two things here I want to I wanna close up with, okay? Close up 45 minutes from now, probably will. I'm trying to go fast, right? <clears throat> One, I want you to take from this, what our identity, you know, we talked about earlier about our identity in Christ. What does that mean? And uh, you guys were like, I, it means this. And I'm like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in him? What does that mean? 
identity is really simple. I'll put it in, in my, the Todd's dictionary here. What we take from and place our value in. What we take our value from and what we place our value in. The only stable and true identity comes from our creator. It's found only in Christ. You have to, even those in the room that don't know Jesus, the part of the misery, and, and it doesn't, like, you can have a really good sandcastle, and that's what's scary. You can be happy. You might be one of those lucky few that just floats through life on your little sandcastle, and the winds, you just happen to narrowly avoid the big winds, right? You get some rain, and you get some flooding, everybody gets that, but you avoid the big ones, and you think you're good until that moment when you're about to take your last breath, and it's all going to collapse. Because of their only identity. The truth is who you are in him. Otherwise, our lives will be, why is that? Well, otherwise, our lives will be a constant pursuit of value and validation. See, if I took my, my validation from whether you guys look awake, I would be sad. Which is why I cry when I leave, right? Sometimes. I go high behind as well. Anyway. But the truth is, that's real, right? If you don't put your, your, your identity in who he is, what does that mean? Well, the world is going to call you names. Right? That's easy to say. You get that. They're going to call you names sometimes. They're going to hate you. They're going to, they're going to ostracize you and say you can't be a part of us. Sometimes family, all these things, right? If your worth, your self-worth comes from that, you're going to want to fall apart, right? If my entire self-worth is in a relationship, and that relationship, and we see this all the time, that relationship ends, I'm going to what? Some people kill themselves over it, Right? Over a guy or a girl. Why? Because their entire self-worth has been put into that. And this thing that gave them worth that said, you're good enough, has now left. So what am I with? I must not be good enough. It's a constant pursuit of value and validation. I've got to constantly keep up. I've got to constantly keep him or her happy. I've got to constantly keep grinding at work so I can keep getting these promotions and get this money because then I'm good on and on and on. And But when it doesn't or when you have a failure or when that project doesn't go the way you want, push. What is the constant pursuit of value and validation? It's this. Love me. Respect me. See me. Whereas Christ and a focus on who we really are, which is what? A chosen right? people. A royal priesthood. If you actually believed it. Well, Todd, sometimes I don't believe it. No, belief means live your life as though it's real, even when your emotions don't believe it. If you do that, and, and those of you who've, who've learned on both sides, and it's a constant back and forth. You know, the first time my, I was that guy, you know, um, I came to know Christ, knew who I was in him. Nobody connected with me in the church. I just got saved. And it was real, and I read the New Testament. Got with a girl, first Christian girl. She was nice to me on the surface. She did a lot of different things. And then left me, and I was destroyed destroyed because everything else in my life had fallen apart so that was I put everything on her gone I felt that way felt like everything had left that seems silly right and then I learned I don't want that to happen again and, and it's a back and forth see Christ in a focus on who we really are in him which says even if she leaves even if this doesn't work I'm still who I am in him nobody can take away that I am his son that I am chosen that I'm royal what if other Christians say you're not Christians he says I am If Christ and a focus on who we really are frees us, what do I mean by that? It frees us to follow him instead of constantly trying to keep our identity. 
I don't have to constantly try to earn it because it's solid. And what does that mean? Remember I told you earlier, the constant pursuit of value and validation means I have to always go love me, respect me, see me. Whereas being free to follow Jesus, guess what it frees me to do, Jill? You ready? It, it frees me to love you, respect you, and see you because I don't have to constantly chase whether I'm being seen because the one who made me sees me. So I am free to see you. I am free, right? If, if I'm held in those waters when the storms come and I'm secure, guess what it frees me to do? To reach my hand in the water to pull you out, right? Our, listen, friends, please hear me. I know you're tired and you're bored and you probably heard way better people say it, but I want you to hear this. Our willingness to crucify our flesh, these things that we say but we don't really want to live, right? Crucify our flesh means there's going to be times you don't want to emotionally build your life on these things. It feels good, right, when people validate you. That feels good. It feels good to succeed. It feels good, you know. All of these things feel good. It's so easy to slip into that. Our willingness to crucify our flesh, which means, again, you, you, I have to choose to walk away from something long-term or at least not put all my hope in something that feels and looks good and that the world says is the good. You know what I'm saying? That means that's crucifying my flesh. It means I will walk away from what I want because I know that what you want for me is better even if it doesn't feel that way. Our willingness to crucify our flesh and follow Jesus, follow Jesus is helped or hindered by what we've built our lives on. The foundation on stone. So you have the identity, know who I am in him and cling to that. But then I have to build my life. I have the cornerstone. I have to build my life on stone, which means what? I have to do what he says to do and don't do what he says not to do, even when it doesn't feel true. So many times in America, Christianity has become this about me thing. It's about him. And when you accept that, it frees you from constantly chasing what I want. It'll make sense in a second. So I, the stone, the stone, the foundation that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7 is, is not who we are in him, right? That, that, that's, that changes the builder. Make sense? Who we are in Jesus, like coming to know him and knowing who I am changes the builder. But what you build and the foundation on what you build it, it comes down to one thing. The stone is the obedience of our lives to that identity. I know I'm talking big words today. It's the obedience of your life to the cornerstone. Do you build it? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it. And so some of you, a lot of you in the room say, well, I'm a Christian, so this isn't for me. You're wrong. Because we've already seen, if you've, if you've listened, that we can go through and say, your salvation, he saved you. But you can be an unwise builder. And if you're an unwise builder, you're probably, if you haven't yet, you will. Your life is going to be a constant cycle, whether it's one time, four times, ten times, of rebuilding sandcastles. Over and over and over again. God doesn't want that for you. And that's going to lead to anxiety, right? 
And some of you think you got it figured out. Let me ask you a question. Do you put more of what the Bible says into practice in your life or what that, that business guru on Instagram says? The relationship guru, the success guy. I had a guy one time in our church. We, AJ, this is something you were involved in, so you can be there, right? And I don't know. I think it was is John Maxwell the name of a like Christian famous guy? I'm sure he's a great guy, okay? No, nothing to, I know, you know, he'll teach you how to be successful. We're sitting there talking to this guy about, like, Christian life, and he keeps quoting John Maxwell. And I said, well, you remember this, AJ? And I literally had to say, dude, I don't care who John Maxwell is. This is what Jesus Christ says. Even if you're saying, well, I'm building my life on what a good man says. Cool, maybe your sandcastle's real well packed, but it's still not built on rock. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to leave you with this too because I want to leave you something tangible so I've told you, hopefully you understand. Well, Todd, remember the questions earlier. What is the stone and what is the sand? Well, we know what the stone is. It's obedience. I'm going to tell you some examples of what the sand is so you can ask yourself, is this me? Is your entire self worth your life built on one of these five things? I put, I call it sandcastles, right? I just like that term. We had a sermon name that one time, but one, materialism. That's a word we don't use. Like A lot of you are like, not me. Or you say, well, I'm poor, so I can't have built my life on materialism. That's silly, <laughs> right? The fact that that was your immediate response, I'm poor, tells me something. Materialism. What's materialism? It's the accumulation of stuff. I've got the nicest clothes. I got the car. I got the the you know the big house, the white picket fence. I've got got God. And now look at me, and you wonder why you're mad, and you wonder why you're sad. Because isn't it funny? How come the people that do? Why don't they notice? Why doesn't Todd come up to me and say, "Hell, wow, what a nice house you have!" Right? What a nice car you have. What a nice motorcycle you have. Why does nobody do that? materialism. And the world tells you, right, if you can become, even in the, man, there's these Christian influencers. I wonder how many of them are really Christian. You think they're not smart enough to know you're a market? Hey, Christian influencers out there, I see these videos all the time. Hey, Christian coaches, let me tell you how to build an, an empire, right? Weird. You, you want to help me build an empire? Let me tell you how to make, you know, once you become financially independent, then you can really do work for the kingdom, but not before, because a bunch of fishermen didn't change the world. It was a bunch of rich guys. Yeah, materialism. There are people in here. Okay, so Todd, well, how do I know if I built my life on materialism? Because it's, it's <laughs> I have this talk all the time. That's why I keep poking this bear, and I'm not going to stop. Money. How mad do you get when the church already, he's talking about money. He's trying to steal my money. Materialism. What are you all mad about? I didn't come to your house knocking the door. Where's my 100 bucks? My point is, you come up with a reason, right? No, Todd, I just got to pay my bills. You liar. You know how I know? Because I already know you buy them energy drinks, that coffee, right? I want to come down there right now to some of you people struggling with money, right? And, yeah, fall, throw your pins on the ground. I'm mad too, right? <laughs> right? We all do this, and it's not to shame you for buying stuff, but my point is there's a difference between, like, there's nothing wrong with having nice things. I guess I should say that. There's nothing wrong. Long time ago, before I started church, I've always been passionate about this. I wrote a note. I used to be able to do this on, on uh, Facebook. Okay, I think it's still there. And I wrote this stuff about like my dream of what I thought the church should be. And by my dream, is like the Bible. And I was like, man, I don't understand this. 
I used to say, I was like, man, the church seems to be like a place for the haves and the have-nots, and you keep them separated. That's what I said, right? And this lady whom I love dearly, she was one of my best friends from high school's sister. She always supported me, loved me. They even gave me money in college one time to, like, go back to college. At the time, they're like, here's the deal. I'll give it to you. All you have to do is go to law school. Ooh, I don't have to pay it back, so I need to pay them. Because uh, <laughs> that did not happen. Uh, <clears throat> I got in. I just didn't go. Um, I feel guilty. Anyway, what she did is she got on there and said, well, Todd, it's not wrong to have nice clothes and nice things. And you know what's funny? I never said it was in there. What made her so defensive? Great woman. She's a believer, 100%. But, and I'm not saying I know, but isn't that funny? That's not wrong to have those things. But what happens if you don't? See, and this is where you have to be honest with yourself. This is for you and God right now. What happens when you don't? What happens if you lose that house? What happens if you lose that car? What happens if, you know, um, whatever? You can't keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> we had some Joneses in here. What if I can't keep up with them? I'm serious. Is your, is your worth tied to that? And here's the truth. I guess I'll just cut to the chase. I know some of you, and I know it does. I know it does. I got a little attitude there, sorry. But I know it does. I know that's you. And you're, you're, it's a recipe for disaster. I love, like, I have nothing wrong with success. If you know me, I love to be competitive and to be great. And I think we bring honor to God by, be, God by being our best self, right? And there's some millionaires. It's hard, though, isn't it? It's hard to have a, why do you think Jesus said it's hard to have a lot of money and be a believer? That's hard. Because essentially, if you are financially independent, guess what? That you're going to think the illusion that you're God. Because you can have anything you want. Okay, materialism. Number two, I got to move before people say, it's going too long. This is separate from materialism, though they're often linked. Status or success. I was probably the second. I don't really care. Like status, in fact, I kind of bucket that, right? Like if everybody's going this way, I go that way. By the way, we, we should not do that all the time. All right, Lindsay, me and you, we should not do that all the time. I saw her going, yep, me too, right? We should not. Sometimes they're going the right way. Anyway. But success, being successful, that's hard for me, especially was, like right? Being seen as successful, and I don't really know why. Maybe it's a worth thing, clearly, right? Like, I want to prove them wrong. Anybody ever feel that way? Yeah. That's not bad in of itself, but when it becomes the overall goal, because guess what? No matter how successful you are, someone says it's not enough. Status, it's, separate. It's, it's close but different, right? I'm, I'm a pillar. I'm a pillar of this community. Look at me. Look at blah, 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 whatever, right? I want to be seen. I want to be valued. I want the community to know my name. I want to go to the right church and do the right things and be in the right Kiwanis Club and blah, 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 blah. There's nothing wrong with Kiwanis Club, but you get my point. I want to be in the right stuff. <clears throat> that is a recipe for disaster. There was a time, I always joke about this, but it's kind of true, when I was like, I moved to this town, and I worked for a nonprofit, and is Andy in here right now? He's not, probably. He's, I always feel like I have to have someone say that's true. He's at Children's Church, okay. Yeah, Zach, Zach in here? No? Okay, good, Zach in for this, right? And I was kind of like, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound arrogant, but it was really sad, and I was like, man, I, like, churches used to like argue about wanting me to go to their church. And I, like, I had these churches offering me youth pastor roles all the time. I was, like, I was like, I don't even, I just met you. 
You want me to come be your youth pastor, right? So I'm like, wow, I must be something nice. Guess what happened when I messed up and when I had a failing, where are they at now? All of a sudden, the people who said literally that I was like a prince, right? Now I'm not worth even talking to. Right? That's what happens. And that old saying of don't let people get you too low, but don't let people get you too high either. It's a roller coaster. Status and success. Because life, you don't control life. The storms come. Right? We pick ourselves back up. You find out who really loves you when you're in the pieces of the storm, right? When you're in those hard moments. And that's why God, right? God's view of me never changed, even when the whole world's did. Isn't that crazy to think of? Number three, this is a big one. Sexuality. We're going to talk about that more in detail at some point, but sexuality. Well, that's not me. Hmm. <clears throat> sexuality. Let me tell you different levels of this. One, it could be you literally like to count the bodies. You know what I mean, right? Body count, that's a big thing now. What's your body count, right? Some of you are like, I'm good there. Okay, that's true. But do you, is, is your value, and this could be married, single, your value come from your sexual worth to people? Do they notice you? Do they notice your body? Do they want you? If they want me, then I'm valuable, and if they don't, then I'm not. Let me give you a little subheading for this, relationship chasers. If I got a next girlfriend or boyfriend, I'm good, I'm healthy, I'm good, right? That's what makes me sad, man, about like, I'm not just picking on two of you you're holding hands. I just want to say that now. <clears throat> Nayana, you're going to smile someday, all right? No matter what it takes, I'm going to get you to smile. And that's a fake one, but I'm going to get a real one. Eli, you better warn her, because I'm coming, <laughs> all right? Every time I look at her, she's going, <clears throat> I've seen you smile. I, don't give me the side. Anyway, moving on. She's never... I love you. I'm glad you're here. Here's the point. <clears throat> like, girlfriends and boyfriends were made, you know, I did a series called Wired for Relationship. We're made for relationship. That's fine. Not always romantic, but, but it can't be it. And I've always said this, and we'll get, this kind of ties into number five, but I'll say this a little bit. Your relationship, you can be like the best boyfriend and girlfriend in the world, but you're still selfish. Because your identity is wrapped in the fact that you're viewed by that person as a good boyfriend or girlfriend or husband and wife. Sexuality, how, you know, how many, oh, am I desired, am I wanted? And you're playing with fire, some of you. Some of you may never do anything in your life, but you kind of let them have a peek every now and then. And it's not just girls. Guys do this too. Right? I'm glad I don't have a six-pack. Who knows what I'd be doing? I might be walking around shirtless right now. Right? <laughs> it's, it's hard. <laughs> Won't last long here, but... Luckily, I don't have to worry about that. So uh, sexuality is your life. And here's the thing. You want a clue right now, right now. Pornography addiction, it's all dopamine. I want to tell you this because I love you. It's empty. It's empty. And you know it. And if you're like, well, is that me? If it's in your head at all, it's you. Or at least partially. Number four, I like this one. This is going to get you. Whose name should I say? I got to quit saying names. Because people get mad. If I say your name, it means I like you a lot, right? Because it would be rude to say the name of someone I don't like, right? That would be bullying, right, Jacob? See, <laughs> See I didn't say your nickname. Now, that would have been bullying when I call you on basketball court. I'm still getting you a shirt. Anyway, religion. Some people's lives are built on religion. Well, Todd, what do you mean? It's not Christ. It's religion. 
you're the perfect deacon, you're the perfect elder, you know, again, I kind of described these people earlier, but like, who you are, you're the good person, well, here's the problem, like, and as long, and this leads to, I can't admit that I sin, I can't admit that I messed up, and so you get to the point well, first of all, you can never have real healing. The Bible says confess your sins to one another and you will be healed for the prayers of a righteous person and powerful indeed. There's something about that. We don't get forgiven by people, but the ability to confess that and get that off our chest, right, is, and you know that. If you've ever done anything stupid and you share with someone and they still look at you and go, I love you still, you're like, Whew, right? <clears throat> I'm the only one, all right? Anyway, <laughs> see, you're pretending you don't do anything because it's scary. You, you never have real healing. And then what happens when you're, you, you crumble? And this can happen also if you don't recognize the fact that there's no difference between you, the prideful person, and that adulterer in the eyes of a holy God. Now, that doesn't minimize the destruction. One has more destruction sometimes than the other, right, in this world. But you're just as bad. Don't ever forget who you are without Christ. When you remember that, it keeps you pretty humble, right? Paul, the apostle Paul says, right, he came to save sinners, and of these, I am the worst. And he was better than us, probably. Okay? This last one's really going to throw you for a loop, especially in Midwest America, family. Some of you build your entire identity on your family. Again, by the way, I want to say this. All of these things are important blocks right, of your life. They're important. They are. They're good. I don't want you walking out here saying, oh, my gosh, sexuality is bad and you know, status and success is bad. No, I love seeing people succeed, right? I love it. I want to succeed. There's nothing wrong with that. They're important blocks, but they cannot be the cornerstone. They cannot be the, the foundation with which your life is built on. Because do you see how each of these things influence your actions too? So I, I suppose I should mention that part, right? If success becomes the thing that my identity is built on, right, it is what I'm building my house on, then remember what I said earlier, what am I going to be willing to do to be successful I, I would imagine I'm willing to do things Jesus doesn't want me to do, right? And I'm not going to be willing to do things he wants me to do that could cost me some success, right? I worked in a banking industry. It's uh, a fun story. Ask me about that later. But I kind of did that, right? I, I, I thought I wasn't, you get money. They, here's a little news flight. They, they get money if you open accounts, you know? They're not just looking out for your best interest when they're like, this account's great for you. It does help you. That's how I justified it later. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, like, you, if you were shady, you'd make more money, right? If you do things that aren't always above board. But family's the same thing. Family's a beautiful thing. But if family's your only identity, that's everything you are, right? Whether that's, I'm the best husband, I'm the best spouse, I'm the best mom. No wonder you're running around because you can't keep those, those balls in the air. And it's selfish anyway. You don't really care about your family. You care about how you're perceived by your family. That's different. That is different in the unhealthy degree, I'm saying. So I need to move on because I don't want to keep here all day, but oh, I did the thing. Vicky's not here. She's not going to yell at me. <clears throat> she says I look at the clock, but I look at the clock because you guys complain and I get notes in that box. It's very mean. Um, <clears throat> Right? They're all important blocks, but they're not the cornerstone. She's going to come play some music, and I want to leave you with these questions. Right? I hope this has made sense to you. So the question to, to the, those in the room who are believers, who are you? Who are you? 
When you think of yourself, here's a clue, right? At one point in my life, I was Todd, a football player, right? We went to Napanee, my hometown. AJ can attest to this. We were trying to kind of look for opening another, uh, what's that called? Campus, thank you. Couldn't remember. At the time, that's my hometown. I was like, it could be a good place. AJ goes in to meet this random stranger. True story. And he goes, yeah, you know, we had to split up. And he's like, hey, we're coming here. You know, Todd Blanton, he's from this town. She goes, Todd Blanton, football guy, football player? And he came out and goes, they really did know you. I was like, I told you, right? <clears throat> my point is, like, it's not even because I was the best in the world. It's because I put my whole identity in that, right? Because that's where I, some people saw me and, and loved me, and, you know, especially before Jesus. Even family members said, oh, you're good now. You're worth it. Who are you? The word that comes to mind when you think of who you are is probably the clue to what you're building your life on. I'm a, I'm, I'm a good husband, good wife. Those are beautiful things. Is that the first thing that comes to your mind? This is going to be shown not just by what you think, but by what your life is built on. Do you make your decisions based on what Christ wants or about being the best mom? No, I'll stay with me. Some of you are like, what are you saying, me and a mom? The fact you're getting mad proves my point. Because trying to be the best mom, and that's the most important thing, will never lead you to being the best Christ follower. But being the best Christ follower will always lead you to being the best mom. And that goes for every single one of those. And if you right now in this room, guys, listen, every week we do this, and it can become a thing. Andy gets annoyed because he's a bit of a rebel. He's like, you know, you play three songs, and you do a message, and you have altar time. Like, that's because you're not viewing it right. The Lord God Almighty is in this room. It says that. Jesus Christ said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. So he's here. And in this moment, if you've been convicted, that means he's looking at you and saying, I'm talking to you. I love you. Walk away from this sin. Come here and let me fix this foundation. Are you going to sit in your chair every week because somebody might see you? Or are you going to say, here is my step, Lord. I want to wash the sand away. I'm going to wash it away, and I want to build it on the right thing, Father. I'm scared. I'm nervous because it's hard, right? I got a big sandcastle. I got a big one, but I trust you. Are you going to respond? Do you want to change? The Christian faith is about following. It's not about going, mm, that, you know, just hearing it, right? That's why he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Respond today. Some of you are new Christians. You're like, well, that's corny. Why do I have to do that? You have to do it because you don't want to. The fact that you don't want to come to this altar and pray, whether it's by yourself, whether it's at your chair, whether it's, you know, quietly to yourself, whether it's to people, there is power in that confession sometimes and prayer and asking it. <clears throat> I'm giving you the opportunity today. The Lord is giving you the opportunity. I don't know what's in your lives, honestly. You know, there's some of you I'm close with that I could probably go maybe this scenario, but most of you I don't. So whoever's speaking to you is, is the Father. It's the Holy Spirit. And he's not, you're, he's, you're, there's no shame or condemnation in him. It says that. Romans 8, 1 says there is no condemnation in Christ. He's not saying it because he's mad at you. Right? I use my daughter all the time. So I'm getting older. I love her so much. She slaps me in the face. She does it. Right? Jaden finally gets it. He saw her slap me the other week, right? He did. It was funny. I've got one praise. She slapped me hard too, didn't she? In that moment when I tell her I'm not mad at her, I'm like, I love you. Don't you see that? got to change. He is the way, the truth, and the life. 
the way. Isn't that beautiful? We kind of put it all together. He's all of those things, not just all of them together. He is life. He is truth, but he's also the way. And some of us in this room have stumbled off the way. I'll take the life, but I won't follow the way. Recipe for disaster. If you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, I was talking to you earlier. Listen, I don't know what to say because you've probably, you've probably heard it a thousand times, but it's probably not fully true or it's been twisted. Here's the facts. Every single person you've ever met in this life right, has fallen short of the glory of God. We've rejected God, and because of that, we've went our own way. And like a branch snapped off a tree, we're dying. You know it, and I know it. You know it. Just like I did when I sat out there when someone said this to me. And because of that, right, all humanity is separate from God. And because of that, right, we, are, we, we, we make mistakes. Sin is not just the bad things you've done or the bad things I do. It's something inside of you. It's a disease. That's why you can't keep up with fixing yourself. Well, that's because you, you, you don't need fixed. You need transformed. You need to be changed back into what you were originally. You need to be grafted back onto the tree, but you can't do it yourself. So God, when you couldn't make your way to him, when you couldn't be good enough, he was good enough. He invaded this earth. Jesus of Nazareth existed. I know it sounds crazy, but so does gravity if you think about it. Jesus existed. He lived. He told us how to live. He showed us the truth. He showed us the way. And then he died so that you could have life. What do you mean I'm alive? Yeah, temporarily. The Bible says we've all stored up wrath for ourselves for these evil that we have done. And it doesn't matter if you're better than this person. When the goal is perfection and holiness, you fall short. And you will stand before a holy God whether you believe it or not. And be judged. You will be judged on your merit. And if that's the case, you're in trouble. Or he gives you another option. Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross. God himself took the punishment reserved for us. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead to prove who he was. And this is what he offers you today, the chance to have eternal life. That if you died on the way out of here, Lord forbid that you would be in paradise forever. He told that to a thief on the cross who had mocked him earlier. It takes a decision. God, you are God. I'm sorry for rejecting you. I'm sorry for going my way. Forgive me, Lord. I want what you have. The Bible says if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to clean it up first. You don't have to fix it first. You just have to come to the cross and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and to transform you, and it happens today. I don't care if you're an addict. I don't care if you're a drug dealer. I don't care if you're a prostitute. I don't care if the church has told you you're not good enough. Jesus offers you the chance today. There's going to be people up here willing to pray with you. I am telling you this because someone told me I was you. Do not leave here today the same as you came in. Have real life. And I'm telling you, life is not always easier with him, but it is better. That's a promise. Whatever you do, whichever place in the spectrum you are, don't leave the same as you came in. Because if you do, you are choosing to. Let that sink in.